0: Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Stir the Pot. Yes, I am back, finally. I have no real excuse except for the last few months I've been incredibly busy. I've been travelling across the world in my very glamorous life of uh, baking. Uh, I've been on tour with Bake from Scratch magazine, but more about that in a little bit. I've been working in Chicago, um, it has been a busy, busy few months, but no more excuses. I am back with a handful of episodes to start with. I have three episodes from the archive that never quite got aired, and they are three incredible episodes, so I'm so excited to be bringing those to you. And they will be coming out one a week for at least the next three weeks. Uh, And then I'll be recording a brand new series and bringing you that in one go as well. So think of this as a part-way series. And today's episode is a really special one to me. We actually recorded this a year ago, Um, with my friend and my editor at Bake From Scratch Magazine. Uh, He is the editor, he's Brian Hart Hoffman. And um, a year ago we were shooting the British issue of the magazine that I happened to guest edit that came out earlier on in the year. Now the original plan was this episode was going to come out during the release of that issue but um, life got in the way and it didn't happen. So there are a few things that I mentioned about the magazine being out now Uh, Unfortunately, it's no longer in stores, but if you do want a copy, you can get a back issue from Bake From Scratch as well. Um, I also just want to say thank you to everyone who did buy the issue. I was so, so happy to see so many of you reading it and tweeting about it, so thank you so much. I was very pleased to see that it went down well. Um, In the next couple of episodes, we have uh, an amazing guest coming up. next episode is Ottolenghi, so make sure you are subscribed to the podcast because that is coming next week. Also, if you do want me to keep doing episodes, I do get messages from you guys quite a lot asking when the episodes are coming out. So if you do love the podcast and you want to keep seeing episodes coming out, it would really, really help me if you can go and leave a uh, review on iTunes or you can just tweet about it because the more people that listen to this, the easier it is for me to get amazing guests. So please leave me a lovely review. Five stars would be amazing, um, but please leave a review and uh, I will keep producing these as much as possible. With that, let's get straight into the conversation with Brian. But, we're going to jump straight into the conversation. So, as per normal, the question, as always, is how did food become such a big part of your life?
1: Well, it's funny you mention American biscuits because I think one of the first memories that I have of being in the kitchen or learning to bake or cook was with my mom Mm. making biscuits on Saturday mornings. And I think that was just a part of what I viewed as normal childhood, having Mm -hmm. mom... You know, with and in the South, just so you know, everyone has their own biscuit recipe. <laughs> yes, so, we discussed this yesterday. Yeah, so you know, I learned my mom's version of biscuits by yes. looking in the Pyrex bowl. Mm-hmm. There's no measurements. Yeah, I love that. Yesterday, you told me that uh, literally no measurements, just a bowl. And what happened to that bowl? The bowl was stolen in a robbery when I lived in Seattle. And it really was devastating because I love having kind of cherished items. Yeah. Again, that's kind of a connection to food. Something in my kitchen that reminds me of my mom, even though she's not there baking for me now every day. But um, she found that very bowl, another one. um, Oh, not the
0: exact same one.
1: Well, it's the same size, yeah, the same, size, the yeah, same yeah. pattern on the Pyrex bowls. She found one for me at an antique store oh. and bought it to replace the one that's missing. So I now have the
0: biscuit bowl <laughs> so I can make biscuits. Um, and I did the best I could for you yesterday without were, that bowl. They were very, very good. I have to say, um, we but, were very excited about those biscuits. Me and Yuki, the photographer, just ate tons of them. Yeah, that was... And I ate all
1: the scones yesterday too. Um, but no, so I think that was probably just a, maybe a silent mm-hmm. beginning to my world of food because I had no thought thereafter that that was going to be any part of my career. Now,
0: mm. what was the the food of your childhood? So, what do, what do you remember? Is there any kind of dishes that stand out? I mean, you know, you like made? I mean, I you know,
1: I mean, childhood food. I loved macaroni and cheese from a blue box. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, I mean, I think normal childhood things, my mom made, you know, a variety of things from, uh, you know, country fried steak, because mm-hmm. my dad and my brother really loved that. Um, I loved my mom's baked spaghetti. Uh
0: baked spaghetti?
1: You you take, you know, you, you boil the noodles <laughs> and you make a spaghetti sauce. Oh, okay. But then you layer it in a casserole yeah. dish and cover the top yeah. with, like, cheddar cheese yeah, or something. and it, get it a, a pasta bake. Yeah, Yeah, so it was a baked pasta-baked spaghetti. (laughs) Um, But then, later in life, I became a flight attendant when Mm. I was an adult. And I think traveling the world um, and traveling the U.S. and Canada and the Caribbean, I really started to connect with food because it introduced me to culture. Sure. And the conversations that started with people over food and asking someone, hey, what should I eat today while I'm in Miami? What should I eat today while I'm in London or Paris or something that would lead me to learn something about the culture. And I think that's when my probably my true interest or passion for baking really started because it wasn't just about going to a bakery or a cafe and trying something. I was determined I wanted to go home and replicate it and share it with my friends and family and then talk about,
0: places I'd been. So I totally know the feeling. I think actually trying to replicate something uh, was a big part of how I started baking because I would find something abroad and become slightly obsessive about it and would make it 100 Your childhood
1: of trip to France,
0: you still talk about. Yeah, them. when I was 18, yeah, that was one of the big things. But I had that after that trip with many things. I still do. Yeah. You know, I am, When I, I'm going to Japan, hopefully, at the end of the year, and I guarantee I'll be coming back trying to make loads of things. So I, I think it's a really... Uh, understandable and common
1: thing. Well, it's, you know, for me, just being in London this week, yeah. I'm going to go back to the US. I'm going to figure out how I'm going to make Eccles Cakes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, Eccles we we had, so we, uh, one of the things we did for the magazine is we went to one of my all-time favourite bakeries called uh, Pump Street Bakery in Orford. And it's this tiny bakery, but they produce the most incredible breads, pastries, but their Eccles Cakes, I think, are the best I've ever had, and they're just in. Incredible. So they're not difficult to make though. So I can definitely send you a recipe and we'll get you making them. And they're so the, really yeah. Good.
1: And those are the, that's how the baking, mm-hmm. that's how my food story gets deeper and deeper and deeper. Yeah. That's what started bake from scratch magazine yeah. was we produce 11 magazines at Hoffman media. A lot of them have food content. Mm-hmm. A lot of them have baking content, but for me it wasn't quite at the level of the baking content sure. that I knew not just for me, but the world was ready for. Yeah, and yeah. that's a full dedication to exploring people, culture, and recipes through the pages of Bake From Scratch. So yeah, we were
0: discussing the other day about how um, the content in the magazine isn't necessarily what we see as traditional like baking magazine fodder. So uh, as I've said to you many times over this trip, there isn't really a British baking magazine. We have lots of Sugarcraft magazine, which is like cake decorating and... All that kind of stuff, but it's not really interesting to me. And it's all you know, very bright colours and very sugary. Well, actually the recipes in the magazine are much more varied than that and from different areas around the world and do try and show something a little bit different. So it's something I definitely appreciate and I think I think people who like baking would definitely appreciate. And
1: yeah, and the response has been that. Good. Like keep
0: telling the stories.
1: And I thought in the beginning maybe we were gonna hear from people and say okay, you know, more recipes, please. Like, I want to bake more. But people are really loving the stories about people, about the bakers, about the makers, you know, and the people that make up this world of baking that we're all so passionately a part of.
0: I think if you look at, like, the... Especially in America, but here also, for sure. Like, if you look at the celebrity chef kind of culture, people are obsessed with those people. And, you know, there are whole industries based around their personalities, And, you know, that exists a little bit for baking, but I think it's nice to have it done in a really nice way. So you have, you know, you have amazing recipe content in the magazine. I think the one that's on the table right now has 57 recipes, which is, you know, half a book almost. That's a lot of content. Um, But then you do have really interesting features on the people, and it's a behind-the-scenes look at those people. And so whilst it's not annoying, like, celebrity culture, I find it really interesting to read about these people and where they come from, what they do, which is kind of the same thing with the podcast. You know, I love the stories of the people who make things and I find it fascinating.
1: I think it gives you more of a reason to bake something when you know the story behind it. In every single issue of the magazine, we do a story on the origin of a classic. Mm. So something that you probably have seen a lot, or maybe you've had it, you know, for many years, but you never really knew the story behind, like how did this classic baked good become such an icon in like culture or tradition. And people have really loved that. Like, I would yeah. hope to do a book one day yeah. that includes all origin stories and those recipes, like, so it's not yeah. 150 recipes. It may be yeah. 30 or 40 recipes, but you get so many pages of content about where those items originated. Oh, don't
0: steal my idea, because I've been working on that for a while No, wow, this would be a different <laughs> version.
1: Um, but you talked last night about sad cake, and you've talked about... Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the earl grey and uh, the um, the marmalade cake. Yeah, and things that, you know, yes, we're going to enjoy it. We're going to bake them and we're going to serve it to friends. But then I think, God, I want to know more about
0: yeah. where that came from. I want another reason why. I, I do love the story behind baking. Like When I wrote my um, patisserie book, I became slightly obsessed with the stories because some of them don't seem very real, <laughs> but I don't really care. I love them anyway because they're really interesting, even as just a narrative that someone's added on to you know a recipe and going back slightly what was the food like whilst you were a flight attendant because it's a world obviously most people don't know anything about you see them you, you you're served by them but you don't know what their life is like so what was the food life like on that because you did a lot of long haul right i flew a lot of
1: well in the u.s hmm. you know we have a lot of long haul <laughs> yeah. like flying just from the east coast to the yeah, west yeah. coast is five and a half hours <laughs> so yeah i did i mean i i The food at the time, when Mm. I was a flight attendant on the airplane, was not nearly as... (laughs) It was a long time ago. (laughs) ...as elevated as it is now. We had, what, chicken or beef. (laughs) (laughs) Peanuts, pretzels, chicken or beef. Um, Now, I really enjoy flying, uh, because the airlines have realized that the food culture of the world's hype around chefs mm. and celebrity. So you're seeing, you know, uh Christina Tosi has her products yep. on board JetBlue. So you know you're gonna fly JetBlue and you're gonna have more than just a gourmet, you know, airline version yeah, yeah, yeah. of a cookie. You're gonna have something that came from a renowned bakery. Yeah. So that is for me now. I'm like, wow, this wasn't like that when I was flying. Like <laughs> talk about
0: worlds colliding now. So when you were um you know when you flew somewhere, um did you get enough time to go and explore those areas and try and find their food?
1: Absolutely, or? and that's why I loved being a flight attendant mm. because we would get off the airplane and have, you know, some some nights were short. There were many <laughs> of the 8-hour, you know, sleep yeah, yeah. and get back on the plane um nights, but there were also lots of times that we had 24 hours or more in places that gave me plenty of time to explore and eat and, you know, taste the local food and cocktails and, um, and yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think immediately of Puerto Vallarta, Mexico and how often I was able to go and be there for 24 hours and almost develop my own, local routine, like when I was there, yeah, these yeah, were yeah. the things I was going to do. The, the cafes, the, um, the street food, you know, you're going to have Al Pastor, like find the best, find the best in yeah. Puerto Vallarta. And I kind of had that same approach every time I went anywhere. Cause you have two choices. You can stay in the room and sleep, which is very easy because yeah, you're yeah, tired. Yeah, you're, yeah. you know, it's not all smile in the aisle 24 <laughs> hours a day. Um, But then you've got to motivate yourself to think the reason I'm doing this job Mm. that sometimes is considered a very thankless job and it is a hard environment to be in every day. But the reason we do it or did it for me was um, to go and see and taste and explore and make sure that I interacted with people Mm. in the the most unique and genuine way.
0: So... Just for my own pleasure, what was the worst experience you ever had with a a, a customer on a plane? Which one do you want me to tell? Um,
1: People are horrible. (laughs) They check their manners at the door of the airplane. Um, You know, I mean, I'm trying to think because uh, there were plenty of moments Mm. that I could say. I would say the most uh, common was, um, and it's understandable, but people's overreaction to delays and things that cause them to miss events in their life, which it is a, it is a balance, but understanding that the flight attendants aren't the reason that's going on is something (laughs) that I would really like to teach a class on. We'll schedule a follow up podcast.
0: (laughs) So obviously from a flight attendant to, um, creative director of a magazine company is, is a big change. So how did that start to happen and how did that, you know, why did you want to move out of that into publishing magazines so when i was two years old my mom
1: started huffman media mm. so our publishing company and um i never wanted to be a part of the business i never thought about being a part of the business
0: it wasn't um, an active i'm not going to do work for the family i mean it
1: way. wasn't actively like thinking mm-hmm. i'm not going to do that of course i think growing up in something you you're a sure. part of it without knowing Yeah, yeah like yeah. i would be at company events i would be around my mom and dad when conversations about magazine publishing were happening (laughs) so i knew so much about it that i didn't think i knew um and i had my career in the airline industry and i lived all over Mm. and and i loved every minute of that but i got to a certain point where i really started to take note of what my mom had built Mm. and uh our company was growing at a really fast pace and uh and my mom asked me one day, I think I was talking to her about my career. And was I happy being a flight attendant? Was I going to continue in the airline industry? Mm. And she said, well, you know, have you ever thought about joining our company? And the thought kind of hit me in a very, Mm uh, real way, the lightning bolt moment that I was like, wow, without thinking about it, Like, intentionally, I was like, God, you know, I really would like to be a part of something that my mom has built. And um, within six months of each other, my twin brother and I both joined the business. So Mm. my brother um, was living in New York City. He um, was working on Wall Street, and he was getting married to my sister-in-law, Katie and they made the move to birmingham and eric is our chief operating officer so i work with my twin brother and my mom (laughs) um but i joined the business six months after my brother and i did not know at that moment how much i truly loved this industry Mm. and um it's been 10 years now and when i think about that i i have to stop (laughs) myself and i'm like wow 10 years i've been in our family's company but the joy to be a part of something that we are now obviously in our second generation of family ownership. And my brother has two children. Yeah. So I look at them and I think, do they even know what's ahead of them? <laughs> Do they know yet or would yeah. they know like how this could be an opportunity for our family's company mm-hmm. to continue to be generational? Um, so yeah, I, you know, it's something I, I say this often. I, I never wanted this, mm. but it's a dream come true, and I'm so glad I'm
0: doing it. I have to say it's it's been really interesting because um, you know I work with a lot of magazines here and in different places, um, and I, I don't know whether it's just the American thing, you know, the whole stereotype of enthusiasm, but it has been a very I mean I'm exhausted. <laughs> so the, we are recording this on the morning that you fly home after. So this, I'm exhausted too. Ed, just <laughs> <so you know. laughs> My personality is so hard to take. But this is uh, the ninth day straight, um, and we've had long, long days. But it has been also incredibly fun, and um, I was talking to my boyfriend. He was asking, before he met you, you know, oh, what, are they, what are they like? And I said, uh, the first word that came <laughs> to my mind with both of you is that uh, it was such enthusiasm. Like, you've been so excited about exploring the city and the country. And, and the same when we were just talking by phone and email before, I think... It's really nice to work with people who are that enthusiastic about what they do and I think that shows in in through food I think I always say that you know when you're happy the food you make is better and so I think that same thing applies to you know magazines to books to all that sort of thing
1: Well we that's how my mom mm. built our business my mom is she and I share a lot of the same personality traits <laughs> um but our entire company is made up of people that love what they do yeah. and that has Invigorated my love for what I do even more um, Brooke is here with me we've produced uh, this content with you this week um, but all 100 Hoffman media employees are equally as passionate and excited yeah. so we work with the best and that helps me sure. keep this smile on my face and it does <laughs> it motivates me every day because um You know this, the creative world. When you're working with other creative people, it just fuels the fire of creativity. And just in the nine days we've been here with you, we've planned things (laughs) for the future. And and that's just what creative types do. So so my mom built it, but it is something that um, going to work every day is as much of a pleasure with the hundred people Mm. that represent Hoffman Media as you have seen
0: from me in the last nine <laughs> days <laughs> so um before we talk about the magazine a bit more i want to talk about two things so i want to talk about cocktails Great. and i want to talk about uh, birmingham alabama because um i knew nothing about birmingham like i was completely ignorant i don't really know much about alabama and um, i think brits and people around the world probably have very specific stereotypes about the south
1: yeah
0: um and about the culture and the food and you know all those sorts of things um, but over this week, um, I now want to go to Birmingham because you've made it seem very good. So tell us what the food is kind of like, what the, that kind of culture is like in Birmingham.
1: I mean, I can start with the obvious. <laughs> <laughs> the things
0: that we're slightly more aware of. Barbecue. <laughs> no, but you told me about really good barbecues. So I'm like, uh-huh. And no, absolutely.
1: So, you know, I say that with a smile and a joke, yeah. but our barbecue is phenomenal and the south has such amazing barbecue mm. that from state to state varies and each has their own unique way of doing it um but in Alabama you know we have Alabama white barbecue sauce <laughs> that is uh from Decatur Alabama okay but it's a state pride thing with our barbecue that there is this um very different mm-hmm. uh approach to barbecue but we also have a melting pot of food in Birmingham with very international influence.
0: Was it really good Indonesian food you said you have in Birmingham? We,
1: Ethiopian. Ethiopian, We that was just yeah. had, well, by the time the podcast is out, it will have been uh, many months, but mm. we have an Ethiopian restaurant that's opened in the new Pizzitz Food Hall, which has received so much attention mm. because an old, uh, what do you call it, derelict. Yeah, yeah, derelict. Yeah, amusing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, see, I'm picking up English. Uh, British yeah. English. Um, A derelict uh, department store had been abandoned, basically, in downtown Birmingham. Mm. So uh, it was purchased, uh, completely renovated, uh, upper floors turned into residences, and down in the main floor, we have this new food hall that represents a diverse selection of Asian cuisine, Southern cuisine, there's a cheesemonger, there's nice. Ethiopian, and there's a cocktail bar in the middle. Nice. And it really is a snapshot of what I would say represents Birmingham's uh, multicultural, very diverse mm. food scene that has put Birmingham on the map for food. Yeah, We've been recognized by many of the travel, you know, publications and websites and, um, you know, we're, we were included in the New York Times, 52 places to see. I mean, oh, wow. Birmingham is on the map. Nice. And the rise of Birmingham in the last 10 years has been so energizing. And the city is alive.
0: I mean, just this week, whilst uh, we've been working, uh, the James Beard Award happens. And um, is it Highland Park? Highland's Bar and Grill. Highland's Bar and Grill that was uh, nominated for the best restaurant in America. Ninth year. Didn't win. But it, the, the nomination alone, there was I think it was four or five restaurants... Across America nominated, and I, it's it's a, th- a thing that I think as someone who doesn't know the country, we just assume these residents are going to be in you know New York, L.A., or, or the big cities. like Right. Chicago, so
1: we right. want to scream it from the mountaintops yeah. that you, you know yes, they did not win, but they are. So Mm. recognized, so celebrated, and world-renowned. Frank Stitt has put Birmingham Mm. on the map for food. So many of the chefs in Birmingham that um, own and operate their own independent restaurants today worked with and trained under Frank Stitt. So when you look at Highlands Bar & Grill and nine years of being recognized as one of the country's top restaurants, it's it's a city I want people to come see, no, and yeah. not because I live there. I lived plenty of years away, mm. and thought that I would not live in Birmingham again. Um, but the city has grown. The city has um, continued to diversify itself with cuisine, with culture, with art. With I mean, it's I love it. <laughs> I'm not being paid by the Birmingham. <laughs> travel board to say this I'm just really excited about our city yeah. and, and I can't wait for you to come visit Birmingham
0: I'm fascinated because as I said I knew nothing um, but your enthusiasm for the place has been very real this week and it's I don't know its sometimes that's all you need to make you intrigued to go and see someone so I'm very excited to see it um, going back to something you just said um, you mentioned that you've lived in a lot of places in America uh, and that includes places like Alaska Seattle so when it comes to kind of a place that maybe, I don't know, maybe invigorated your love of food, or it was just a place that you loved being for the food that was there? Where in the US have you liked living <laughs> the most? And we're not gonna <laughs> include Alabama in this, because we know you live there now, so somewhere else.
1: Well, I'll answer that with two answers. I will first say Anchorage, Alaska, mm. because I never thought, again, I never thought I would live there. Yeah. Um, I moved to Anchorage um, after uh, starting, my second airline career with Alaska (laughs) Airlines so I was with US Airways and then 9-11 happened tragically causing the airline industry to downsize and lay off and I lost my job sure so I joined Alaska Airlines and I found myself in Anchorage Alaska (laughs) Um, and I will never forget on one of my first days flying one of the flight attendants said have you ever had whale blubber oh no thank you and I was like no I can't say that I have Um, but part of the you know tradition your first day of flying into the arctic circle they bring some out to the airplane and and i did and how what was it it was very interesting as in as i'm not gonna have it again (laughs) but i wanted to taste something and try something again i go back to that whole thing if you don't try it once how do you know
0: i completely agree i think it's actually the most important thing is the willingness to try something Um, my mom my mom used to say when i was a kid that one of the things she was really happy with is that most of the time I would basically try anything, at least once.
1: I think everyone That's should. You know, you'd should. say that to children all the time, yeah. like please just try it once. But now as an adult, I'm like, Yes,
0: just try it once. Brian. You can do it. <laughs> I mean I've definitely tried things. I ate um poached lamb brains once and they were delicious. I'm never gonna eat them again. Um, but I, I, I do think I used to be like when I was a teenager, I was very reticent to try things that I thought I wouldn't like. Yeah. And I still do push myself sometimes because my brain sometimes goes, oh no, you're not gonna like that, but try it. Still. I had crispy brains this week here in London. Oh, you, <laughs> at John, a bread gym. and wine, yep. and
1: I felt so. Empowered, them try it this place is renowned people are like lined up out the door to Mm. eat here so yes I'm gonna try it so (laughs) and it was good I liked it so I actually tried it and I would have it again so it wasn't a one-time thing yeah yeah yeah. um but the food in Alaska so getting like so I had that first bite of food and the whale blubber not gonna have it again but (laughs) I fell in love with Alaska's seafood so living in Anchorage and living in a place that I never thought I would live um the salmon and the halibut and the crab. Mm. I mean, I, right now, I'm just anticipating, like... (laughs) we going back. (laughs) Yeah, well, no, but we are so fortunate to get Alaska seafood, you know, in Alabama. Now, no, it's not fresh caught that day, but but I, you know, I, through living somewhere and through meeting people that worked in the seafood industry and talked about Alaska seafood and um, watching the salmon jump upstream for (laughs) spawning, I mean... I saw those things with my very own eyes and I feel like, wow, I'm connected to this cycle of life that, you know, is now creating this beautiful, amazing produce that Mm. the state of Alaska is very proud of. And as a local living there and now I still in my mind think about Alaska a little bit with a comfort. Like when I'm in Anchorage, I kind of feel like I'm home a little bit Mm. in a place that I never thought I would. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, but then I moved to Seattle and that is the place you, you know, if, if you ask me outside of Alabama, the place that I fell (laughs) in love with the most, I would say Seattle. Um, I love the, the food of course, the, you know, you get a lot of really great Asian influence Mm -hmm. in Seattle. So, you know, I think of the, um dim sum places yeah. that were amazing, the Vietnamese food, and of course being very close to Alaska, you get that really great seafood sure. too. But I just love the the scenery. I like the water and the mountains and the the people are really coffee. the great the coffee. <laughs> Has anyone heard of this little place called Starbucks? <laughs> no, but I think you know Seattle being kind of a hub of the coffee mm-hmm. culture and putting that scene on the map, Yeah. yeah you know, like that. that, uh, I don't know. I just, yeah, I still think about Seattle and it's, it's the second home away from Alabama.
0: Nice. So let's talk about cocktails. All oh, right. Because we may have enjoyed a few this week. Yeah. I've you a few cocktail places. <laughs> and, and that was mainly because you've written a book called, um, the coop. Yes. So it is a cocktail book all about, well, cocktails served, um, in, a served in a coop <laughs> and are recipes from bars all across the world. Um, so why cocktails? Well, let me
1: back that up a second. <laughs> it didn't start with cocktails. Okay. It started with the coupe class. Yes. I know. So um, when we were working on a story for um, Taste of the South magazine, mm-hmm. we were doing a Southern food feature um, on Highlands Bar and Grill eggnog mm-hmm. at holiday time, I... It is a tradition. Yeah. Every year I go the Friday after Thanksgiving to Highlands Bar and Grill. I walk in the door. Matt has anticipated my arrival, <laughs> and it's the first night of eggnog season at Highlands. <laughs> but we were doing a photo shoot, and um, he said something about every year he changes up the glassware that he serves yeah. the eggnog in because it's kind of one of those, there's not a traditional piece sure, of glassware yeah, for eggnog. yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'll never forget that year he said, um, I really feel like this is the year of the coupe. And he got out a set of coupe glasses and poured his eggnog in the coupe glass for our photography. And he was like, yeah, this looks perfect. (laughs) And it kind of piqued my interest in kind of the return of a piece of glassware that had maybe fallen out of frequent use. Sure. Um, And more than just for champagne, the coupe glass was now being used in bars and um you know amazing cuisine you know paired with like your beverage is served in a coupe glass and I thought wow this is really Mm. interesting the cocktail culture again it's another one of those like the coffee culture rising the cocktail culture was rising um and I fell in love with the coupe glass I mean plain and simple so when I was out (laughs) and about you know at antique stores or even like Sir Latab and William yeah. Sonoma like their line of coupe glasses I would always go right to them and look to see what, what Did, they
0: had didn't you say your husband says uh, not to buy anymore yeah said, every married.
1: time I'm like you know oh I found these coupe glasses he says do we really need those and I said you know need is not the question we're talking about here <laughs> it's about a collection that's very diverse and we yes there's always going to be a need for more of those so
0: is the eggnog recipe in the book it is it so the eggnog recipe good.
1: is in the book they are really really gracious and have shared that recipe um and allowed me to put it in the book so yes everyone can have that eggnog and you should enjoy it um at
0: your soonest well actually, i say i am um, so by the time this comes out I, this will be my uh, second year of being obsessed with eggnog i kind of oh, good just two years well just two years i literally always thought it would be something that would be kind of grim because it's not something we traditionally have here in the uk and uh it's just not something we're that familiar with, yeah. and so we see it in movies coming out of a carton, and the joke is that it's not very good. Um, and so I happened to go to a bar, and I took you to this guy's, uh, one of this guy's bars uh, for the magazine from uh, a bar called Bar Termini, which I think last year won best bar in the world um, from the Observer Food Monthly Awards or well, best bar I would in UK. Maybe it was amazing. I know you loved it, um, but they make an eggnog that is made with cider and cider brandy. And it's so delicious, they fold in whipped egg whites, so it's super light and frothy. And I became so obsessed with it that I made huge vats of it. Um, And I'm going to try and make some this year and age it, like they do in a couple of places in the US, just to try it. Um, But... I, yeah, I completely, I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm very, very tired at this point. I've had two hours sleep. We're having it. a love so, affair so. with eggnog. Let's talk <laughs> about it. Um, so what, in the book, what is your, uh, do you have a favorite cocktail from that book? One that you make all the time?
1: So we're in the South in the summertime. I love when the watermelon comes uh-huh. in. So um, my favorite cocktail in the book that I probably consume most Weeks during the summer it is the <laughs> Alabama summer, and it's a cocktail recipe that uh, Brooke Bell and I developed together. Yeah, um, and it's very simple. It, it does it have lots of vodka in them? Yes. yes. <laughs> if there's anything I've
0: learned about you and Brooke is that you both like Tootsie's. No,
1: what? Tito's.
0: Tito's. Tito's Vodka. Tootsies. Tootsies. I've said Tootsies <laughs> like three times now. Um, yeah, don't go to a bar and order Tutsis. So,
1: of course, it has uh, Tito's Vodka, <laughs> watermelon juice, and Campari. Oh, nice. So, the same thing I oh, love about Bar Termini yeah, with yeah, yeah. the Negronis and the, you know, the beverages that mm. they so beautifully make with Campari. I love that bitter yeah. counterpart to the sweet yeah, yeah, yeah. watermelon juice. And then we finish it off with sparkling water because nice. it's very... Effervescent. And beautiful <laughs> uh, <laughs> It does sound. It sounds great. Um, so yeah, that's a cocktail that I and it's easy to make and it's easy to change out seasonally. So yeah. when we get to blood orange season or we get to, um, satsuma season, the juice becomes uh, that and yeah, yeah. the Campari and the vodka stay a part of the cocktail. So it's a great. Co- I think everyone should play with mixing your own drinks. If you don't like the watermelon juice that I recommend, don't write the recipe off. Try something else. Put a juice in there that you like. Find the balance of sweet and bitter that fits your taste, and you're going to become your own mixologist.
0: I mean, today We had, um, so we went, we've been to Bar Termini a few times this week, (laughs) and we went there to shoot it for the magazine, but then also randomly just bumped into the brand new one which wasn't actually open time, but they let us in for drinks. Um, and we tried something there. We tried two drinks, actually. Uh, one was a, the kind of morning drink, which was orange juice, bergamot, and I think that had Campari in it, it too. It did, yeah. And that was a really wonderful, it, it wasn't like a mimosa, like a, a box fizz, what we call a mimosa. But it had, I don't know, it was a, such a beautiful breakfast drink, but it got used slightly upset as bergamot. So we got a... I love bergamot. (laughs) So literally, we're not in bergamot season now, but there's still definitely a few things on menus. And one of the things we tried was the bergamot Negroni, which talking about the kind of level of bitterness, I'm not normally a Negroni person. It's normally a tad too bitter for me. But the two we tried, one, uh, their rosato one, which has just a hint of rose, and the bergamot one, which has a really nice kind of front hit of bergamot. Both, for me, just made those drinks so perfect. I agree. I
1: am not a gin drinker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Which I'm sure in t- England, terrible. that is like, or the UK, that's
0: just horrible that was, for me to say. Blasphemous, <laughs> for sure.
1: <laughs> um, but I loved their Negronis yeah. because of their approach to adding new flavors to something that, yeah. you know, is also a very iconic cocktail. They but,
0: were so easy drinking. Yeah. Yeah, so literally they're going to start selling their, um, the bottles of it. So I'm definitely buying some of that. Cuisine. And you are bringing some when I will bring to, some Birmingham, to Birmingham, Alabama. See, I was going to try and do my Southern accent again, but we have uh, I've been told by many people, it's not very
1: good. That's part four of the podcast. <laughs> we are not there yet. We are not there yeah. yet.
0: Brian's been trying to convince me to try and speak Southern in this, and I'm just not sure it's going to happen because that's too much of a record of my terrible, terrible accents. Um, so let's talk about the magazine because obviously that is what we're here to do. So... Um, I was in the very first issue of the magazine, which was uh, by the time this comes out, will be three years
1: ago. It will be two and a half. Two years, and a half years yeah. ago,
0: okay. And um, you were very gracious to um, put the American release of my book, Patisserie Made Simple, in there. But then, since because you... it's a great book, <laughs> thank you. I <laughs> will give you your money later. Um, but you, you also listed me as one of the. What's your list called? The, the baker's, bakers dozen the baker's dozen yep. that's it yeah which is kind of your list of the best kind of bakers on the scene in that year and then actually, I think it was just after you did that which again was like a year ago you contacted me and said uh, we want to do a British issue we want to do it with you are you up for it I was like um, <laughs> yes so for the last I don't know three four months we've been plotting what this will be and finally we did it we've Or You flew over for nine days. Yeah. We have run around this country like mad people. We have been up to Wigan. We have been... Shout out to John Wick. (laughs) Yeah, we went to John Wick's cooking school. We shot his uh, beautiful, beautiful cooking school. Uh, We went to Pump Street Bakery in Orford on the coast. And then we've legged it around London. We've shot recipes. We've um, done amazing features with some of the best bakers in the UK. What made you want to come to Britain to do a whole issue dedicated to British baking? And as I say that, we're being served the scones I made very early this morning. (laughs) Yeah,
1: so if I get distracted, it's because I'm eating a scone,
0: (laughs) a proper scone with With
1: clotted clotted cream (laughs) and jam.
0: That's getting there.
1: We're getting your accent there. See, I'm willing to step out on (laughs) that. We're going to put you on in a minute.
0: Um, I sent a video to my boyfriend of uh, me doing a southern accent yesterday, and all he responded back was, you have many talents, but let's face it, accents are not one of them.
1: <laughs> but we're getting you there. We're working on it. After nine days, you can at least say y'all. So we'll do that. That's part four of this podcast, everyone. So um, we, well, I guess we should immediately say that the the Bake Off mm-hmm. show has not just been a sensation in yeah. the UK, but it has become one in the US. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to credit you and a lot of the... The, you know, and the seasons that followed. <laughs> um, with that sort of attention turned sure. to um, interest in British baking. Um, and I think going back to my original mission for Bake From Scratch, exploring cultures yeah. and people um, in, in interesting ways. And we've done a French issue. Mm-hmm. We're working on our second French-themed issue. And we just felt like it was... Time and the interest was there for British baking, and um, yeah, in working with you and the people here in London and the UK that have welcomed us into their bakeries, into their studios, into their um places of business, we have become even more so convinced and excited <laughs> that this was the right decision, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, it's. it sounds so cliche to be like, well, it's so on trend. But it is. People yeah. really are interested and engaged with um, what makes British baking so unique. Yeah. And uh, we are working with the best. And I hope everyone is buying the magazine right now <laughs> as
0: you listen to this podcast. <laughs> well, um, so I'm going to quickly talk about what's in the magazine whilst I give you a scone. Thank so you. I have made a classic British scone with... Um, currants, uh, well one's got almonds in it I believe, and uh, clotted cream and strawberry jam. Um, so I want you to tell me what you think of them. But what I'm just gonna say is in the magazine, um, so I'm guest editing the issue, and there's a whole bunch of really cool content in there. Um, and I was very lucky that a lot of people in the UK agreed to kind of take part and uh, be a part of the magazine. So we had uh, an amazing feature that I'm so happy about called um, the Baker's Potluck. And basically we got together, um, I think it was in the end 10 of the country's best bakers, together in a room just to come together to chat, to, to make some food, and just almost effectively have a party and just photograph it. And it was such an amazing day. I got emails from people at the shoot saying, Thank you, we never all get together like that. And, you know, there was a few people that had never met each other. So it was a really nice kind of coming together. And I think that's going to be one of my favorite features for sure. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. To to have been on the other side of the camera, kind mm-hmm. of watching
1: what was happening and jumping in when I yeah, could. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, I can't help myself <laughs> from chatting with and getting to know people. Yeah. Um, it was really great. Yeah, was and amazing. to see people come together in a room that you know, it starts out quiet and people aren't yeah, sure what to do. It definitely said like, a little nervous, you know, What are we doing? Yeah. What are we, you know, and we didn't want it to be something overly produced. Yeah, we yeah. didn't have a shot list. We no. weren't in there saying, okay, Ed, we're going to have you smile with Paul. And, <laughs> you know, yeah, it, it, we wanted to just watch a social interaction happen with the all-stars of the baking world, yeah. of course, and, uh, and let people bring to the table what they felt like bringing. Yeah. We didn't
0: provide any instruction. No, I kept getting emails from people saying, does it need to be British? What do I need to do? And I kept saying, it's just whatever you want to make that represents you. So we had Dan Leppard, who, you know, is kind of the the most well-known food writer, baking writer in this country. And Lamington's. And he brought Lamington's because he's Australian. He also brought... Um, Uh, a lardy cake which is super English fell in love with lardy cake I am going to be making that I mean he made the biggest lardy cake I've ever seen I think he made it in like a huge 10 inch yeah I'm going to need that to be like small -small. we'll cut that one in half (laughs) but then we had people like you know Claire Patak who's also American but has a bakery here in um, Hackney you know we had people um, Cupcake Gemma Gemma who is British but is making these you know American style cupcakes and it was a really amazing thing to see our mix of culture and our mix of styles come together, um, and I just had the best time. And I was really, we did uh, too. really happy that those people all agreed to come because. You know those sorts of shoots are really hard to organise. So I was and very, being at Rye happy. London, let's talk about yeah, that so we fabulous shot space, at <laughs> the most beautiful studio that I loved. Death. It's also very near my house, so I'm very happy. But um, we shot in Rye London, which is just a gorgeous, gorgeous space, um, and it was such a nice day. Uh, we've also done recipe features. So there's a pudding feature. I had to explain what pudding is. You do not <laughs> eat pudding. Only for pudding. There's cake. Well, there's cake, but that can be pudding. Yeah. It was very confusing Uh because um, (laughs) obviously pudding in America is mainly a type of thickened custard, effectively. Yeah. So we were saying you can have your pudding on top of our pudding, (laughs) kind of. (laughs) Um, So it's been slightly confusing. This is still confusing. I think after nine days, we're almost there. Yeah, Um, maybe. But yeah, so I mean, by the time this magazine is out, which is obviously now, um, I think we will have been working on it for about a year. Yeah. Which is... Yeah, yeah. I've never worked on something so far in advance that's not one of my own books, so I'm super excited to see it. Obviously, at this point of recording, I've not seen anything but a few of the pictures. The but Yuki's
1: images Yeah, so are really we shot with um,
0: Yuki Sugiyara, who uh, shot my first book, and everything is looking so, so beautiful, so I cannot wait. Um, as of recording, the magazine's not available on newsstands in the UK, but you can subscribe and you can buy from America. Um, But hopefully in the uh, near future, it will be available on newsstands. But I will put all the details of where the magazine is available in the description box below. Um, But we are now going to go on to our second section. So we're going to do the shopping list. It's time for the shopping list. We decided to record the podcast at the end of the week so I could get to know Brian a little bit better. So hopefully I've come up with some good (laughs) questions. So uh, the first one is based on... uh, what i know of you what i knew of you before but also specifically now so paris france or birmingham alabama oh (laughs) i knew that was going to be hard because you are a true francophile absolutely spent two weeks before the shoot traveling around france yeah uh so i thought it might be tricky well
1: birmingham is home Mm -hmm. so that's comfort you know, of course, that's yeah. where Stephen and I live, and that's where my family and mm-hmm. our business is. But I am going to answer with Paris, France, because, <laughs> <laughs> because it is where I absolutely yeah. just, I love Paris. I love a rainy day in Paris. I, lo- love, I love a rainy day in I love Paris. sunny days in Paris better. But um, <laughs> I, I just love the people and the food and the way of life. And, yeah. you know, you and I share a love uh-huh. of France
0: and French cuisine and Oh absolutely love of this Paris, Paris, Paris. This is kind of like an American versus English thing. So coffee or Yorkshire tea. As I introduce you to the wonders of Yorkshire tea this week. Well, I'm gonna answer very diplomatically (laughs) and
1: say I'll start any day, every day with coffee. Yeah. But I have learned to love a spot of Yorkshire tea in the afternoon. (laughs) I think I mean I actually, so I'm going to answer with both. Uh, both that's both, fine. That's yeah. fine.
0: Um now this <laughs> this is one that uh Brooke who is also here in the UK working on the magazine came up with. So, um oh one of the ones was so whiskey or Chablis? Oh my god. <laughs> Chablis,
1: all day every day. Yeah, there is
0: currently a bottle of Chablis in the fridge and there has been every day this week. <laughs> um mayonnaise or marmite. Oh, mayonnaise. <laughs> Paul
1: A. Young uh-huh. made me eat a spoonful yeah. of marmite before
0: I could try his marmite chocolate. And Your reaction was genius. It was like a whole body reaction. We will repost that
1: video. For, <laughs> Ed will repost that video for the whole world to see. Thanks, Paul. Yeah. But mayonnaise. I love mayonnaise. Yeah. No, and I I mean, know I that, that mayonnaise, mayonnaise is fan. very divisive. This it can week be. alone, we've you had met a conversation. A few yeah, yes.
0: Yeah. No, I, I have to say, I, I love mayonnaise. I'm not a massive marmite fan. Uh, but I really wanted you to try. Um, so Paul makes a chocolate, which is a Marmite chocolate, and I'm not a massive Marmite fan. I can eat it, but it's not. The my chocolate fine. is amazing. But the chocolate's insane. It's really good, and actually, it's very surprising that it works. And actually, it has an amazing story. So Paul was challenged when he first opened his business uh, because he was this person who was meant to be able to, you know, make a chocolate out of anything. And so a journalist, I think from the Telegraph, asked him, "Well, go on then. If you're so good, make a chocolate with Marmite," and he did. People loved it, and he's never been able to take it off the menu since. So he's been there since almost day one. Um, and it's an amazing chocolate. So I was very glad you liked that. Not surprised you didn't like Marmite. But the reaction was genius. Thank I loved you. it. Wow. Um, grapefruit or bergamot? <laughs> grapefruit. I mean, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Not how you've been acting this week.
1: Bergamot. I have been slightly obsessed. Yeah. So when this issue releases, it will be
0: bergamot season. It will, yeah. January, yeah.
1: I will be... On a quest in Alabama to find Mm -hmm. someone that either will ship bergamot to me or I'll find it at a market. Yeah. I have fallen in love with it. Yeah. The use of it in cocktails and food and, um,
0: I mean, even the shampoo here (laughs) has bergamot on the label as one of the aromas. I did notice the other day we were (laughs) having dinner somewhere and I I was going to come out of the bathroom and say, the hand wash has got bergamot in it, Brian. You're going to love it. But I forgot. Well, so the answer is bergamot, not Good. grapefruit. Um, Nutella or matcha? <laughs> Nutella. <laughs> not a matcha fan, Brian? No, no. We're not
1: even to the recycle bin part of this podcast, <laughs> um
0: No, Nutella. Yeah. Oh, you, what, yeah. What, what is it that, about matcha that you don't like? Because you have mentioned previously that you're really not a fan of matcha baking. It's the baking part of it. Yeah. I, you know, I really. I can enjoy it in
1: a cup, of, a cup of green
0: tea. <laughs> That's fair.
1: Um, but yeah, I just I don't know why I'm not a fan of. I it, think it's, it's one not of those things that, that people yeah, are, yeah, just the palate doesn't work for fair. me in baking. And I know some people that have done probably very well with very popular recipes mm. that use matcha, and
0: I'm just not a fan. It's just not for you, yeah, That's not fair. for me. Um, and one to kind of sum up this week: um, biscuit toss cones... Concerning, I've just made you. I got up at seven this morning to make you scones. Freshly. Blimey. <laughs> Which, as we have discovered, no one says in the. No, is it Blimey you've been asking people about? Yeah. So, absolutely. every person Brian has met this week, he has asked, Do you say Blimey? Um, and a few people have kind of. No, they've said they do. Yeah, they've said they've done just to kind of, you know, kind of pat, pat, pat you on the head as so a it's kind a of. Patronizing patronizing yeah, wow. yeah. um, so, as a patronising. Slightly patronising, yeah. We have found some people that do genuinely say it, but. It's not a common word, but I love that you're just going around (laughs) London going, blimey. Of course. (laughs) As long as it's not offensive and I don't know it. So, what was the question? Um, So, it was Busy Sauce (laughs) Guns. Oh.
1: Um, Gosh. I can still pull out of this magazine. (laughs) Maybe we're not going to have you be Ed is no longer the guest editor. Um, I don't know. That one's tough because yesterday we posted some photos of us baking together. We did, we baked scones and biscuits and I got a lot of questions on social media, Mm -hmm. which who won. So it wasn't, they thought it was a bake off. So I guess, you know, with you being involved, it was a competition. Um, They asked what was better or which one, and I'm going to say that they were both... They're both different. ...fabulously yeah, yeah. wonderful and different, and so they represent where each of us are from, really? and I'm going to answer with both, because I want you to love biscuits, and I am so glad that I love scones, and I'm enjoying one right now as we talk about I mean, this. That's,
0: that's very American <laughs> of you, but I happen to agree. I don't normally go down the line with these. Normally, for me, there's a one very strict answer but i'd never had a biscuit before so uh, me and yuki the photographer were both very excited to a be shown how to make them and then b taste them and we ate so many biscuits yesterday like dipping them in butter and like they're salty and i utterly love them um however scones will have a, a long you know turn place in my heart so i grew up making them one of the first <laughs> things i ever made and uh yeah I'm, I'm not begrudging the 7 a.m start because i love a scone so i'm I'm happy Well, to I'm not begrudging it, it
1: either. <laughs>
0: Good. Um, so our final segment is the recycling bin. And you have been kind of talking throughout the week of what you're going to put in there. So um, what is your most hated, most uh, you know derided ingredient or trend or something that you want to get rid of?
1: Okay, so Ed, I have listened to every single episode of Star of the Pod. <laughs> I know that I am not going to mention... Well, I'm not even going to say it because I said I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Clean <laughs> it comes up far too often, and I agree. Let's mm-hmm. dismiss that. But I have to stick true to myself, okay. and I think about when I am in recipe development mm-hmm. meetings, and we talk about flavors. You've mentioned it earlier in the um, <clears throat> in the shopping list, but I am going to go full in and say. Enough with using grapefruit. <laughs> <laughs> You're not not with you. I, I I cannot stand it. And I really? want to learn to like it. I am gonna not only I'm gonna sit here and argue for it to not be put in the bin now that I've said it. <laughs> um, my grandfather, my entire life, he ate Half a grapefruit mm-hmm. every morning, and I remember night. it, and I actually love the memory of it, and I can see him with the spoon and the you know, yeah, you know yeah, the grapefruit yeah, spoon yeah. like going in and, and loving it.
0: Did he eat it would, with sugar? Uh,
1: I can't remember. Yeah. I don't know if he did or didn't. That was where my mom used to eat it—a little sugar on top. Maybe he would always say, "Do you want a piece? Do you want a bite?" And mm. I hated it then. Interesting. And I hate it now. I and maybe you know what I want to argue for to go in the bin mm. is. How trendy it is. It's like the hero of citrus right now. Um, so
0: I'm going to humbly <laughs> ask that you... <laughs> so it's interesting purely because uh, you've become such a fan of bergamot. Yes. And they have similarities. So they have a bitterness to them. Well, then the bergamot has all the
1: things I would like about <laughs> grapefruit if it didn't taste like grapefruit.
0: So have you had grapefruit recipes that you begrudgingly like? I just completely no don't like it? no yeah I'm going to like be I'm going to be totally honest about it. Uh-huh. I I'm
1: always open-minded. I try them when just not with grapefruit. I mean you know in the test kitchen at work if yeah. someone says oh Brian this has grapefruit in it they know that it, <laughs> I might try it but I'm not gonna like yeah. it there is just something in the aftertaste okay. of grapefruit that I not in a cocktail either Nope, no nope. nope. <laughs> that was the definitive like, no and uh-uh. like, I know friends that love um, I think it's called a salty dog at mm-hmm. the beach in the summer
0: grapefruit juice and see um, I'm never a fan of when you do the grapefruit with salt like that kind of that's it is there's I hate salt and
1: the grapefruit no, and I, hate I just even The smell of it. But sweets,
0: grapefruit, I I do really like. So So I know what you're going to say. It's not going in the recycling bin. And we're going to convince you. I'm going to just bombard you with grapefruit recipes until you like it. Crikey. Crikey O'Reilly. Crikey O'Reilly. Um, We have a fourth section of the podcast.
1: (laughs) You are going to give us
0: your southern accent. So the only thing I've said in southern this whole week that's been vaguely good is something to do with... um, biscuit dough and uh carrie mori refers to her biscuit dough at the perfect state it is it's a a very very wet dough wetty dough (laughs) yeah so go ahead (laughs) we start with y'all
1: we want you to like at least lead in with like so if ed let's take it
0: back to the biscuit bowl (laughs) yesterday we were standing at the biscuit bowl and you proclaimed i said something i can't remember exactly what i said but i basically said (laughs) here we go I basically said Hey y'all This is a waddy dough But it's so bad So we're gonna This is probably gonna get edited out It's not getting edited Everyone You're welcome
1: (laughs) You are welcome You can leave your thanks to me In the comment section below For how
0: We got Ed to use his Southern accent. (laughs) Which is terrible. Um, But I just want to say, as we finish, um, I also want to say a big thank you to Brian and Brooke, who are both sat here. Because this week, whilst it's been hard work, has also been the most fun work I've had in a long time. And um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. We feel the exact
1: same. It has been such a fatiguing nine days but in the best way in the it's best that, possible way yeah. it's that amazing like fatigue of like wow we did so, so much, much and yeah. we met amazing people and we got great content oh, yeah. and the recipes are amazing and you know just yeah yeah. so everyone when you see the issue just <laughs> know how much time Ed put into guiding us and showing us and introducing us to great people so thank you to My everyone pleasure. that contributed and thank yeah, you yeah. to you Ed for bringing the British baking world <laughs> to bake from scratch.
0: So if you want to follow the magazine on social media, they're the bake feed on uh, Twitter and Instagram. They also have an amazing Instagram feed, so do go follow them. If you want to follow Brian, he's at Brian Hart Hoffman on Instagram as well. Yeah. Um, thank you for listening. Um, I'm going to ask again, please leave a review for the podcast because it does really help. Um, tweet it out to your friends because the more people who see this, the, the nicer it is to do and the easier it is to get really good guests. So do keep tweeting along. It really does help. But thank you for joining us again. And again, thank you, Brian. Thank you, Brooke, who's patiently sat here next to us, not saying a word the whole she time. She served scones. She did know. serve a scone halfway through, so she, <laughs> she had a very important job. But thanks very much, guys. Thanks, Ed. Thanks, bye.